Sunglasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author, filmmaker, and book devourer, Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're taking a trip down memory lane to some book nostalgia. We think you're going to like this one. We're very excited. But first, what are you reading, Bria? I'm reading a book you recommended um, because, okay, so this is so crazy. Uh, Mallory was on Twitter and she sent me this thing where she was like, isn't this your hometown? And it was... um, uh, uh, oh someone my God, was I'm, posting yeah. about my hometown, which is a very small town in East Texas called Marshall. And it was my about- My friend Brooke. Yeah, and it was about um, the, there's a controversy. It was actually like when we were recording this, it was actually on, on NPR today. There was a whole story about, about the controversy happening there because there's one of those Confederate statues, the like random ass ones that have like, that like all these different cities got and it sits in front of the courthouse and they're trying to get it taken down. Anyway- there was an article about it or a photo from it. And I was like, wait, you know someone else from Marshall, Texas? That's not possible. Like, it's a small town. Not many people are definitely not many writers. You're like, oh, yeah, my writer friend. And I was like, why have you not mentioned this to me? This is I, for some reason, you never, never put, put it, it together. Well, how could you? It'd be so weird to know two people from the same small town in Texas because we're not in Texas. People from Texas yeah. don't love leaving, uh, which for good reason. I like Texas. Um, uh, <laughs> well, I've known both of you for years and I've known that both of you were from Marshall, but th- because like Brooke lives in New York City and it's just like they never, and it's funny because Brooke is also a sci-fi writer. So yes. I just never, I, tr- I don't know why I never put it together but I never did. Well, this book was on my shelf for a while. It was on my TBR, but you know, I'm so bad at looking at books that are physical books. I never, I'm like, those we exist. got an arc of it. Uh-huh. And I remember when it came out and I was like, oh, you should read this. And I should have been like, hey, the, the author, Brooke the Bolander. <laughs> anyway, the book is called the only, the only Harmless Great Thing. <laughs> the author is Brooke Bolander. Um, it is about, um, I just started it. So it is about... Um, and basically she's writing an alternative history, an alternate history, um, about a bunch of factory workers, female factory workers who died of radiation poisoning after they were like designing these glow in the dark clocks uh, or watches and stuff. And they mm-hmm. were, and this is a real thing. If you read the book, radium girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, because they would, they would basically design them and they were being around the radiant, the radioactive thing that was making the, uh, the watches glow. Um, and then they, I think they also like were told to lick the thing, the, the, the. Well, they would like, li- just like a lot of people, they would lick the um, paint brushes yeah. to get them like, to get the point to a tip. So they were constantly absorbing all this radiation, like r- radiation and they were starting to glow. Right, right. And because they were literally <laughs> dying from radiation. Um, and uh, Brooke Bolander took this idea and, and, um, combined it with elephants and created an alternate history where these elephants are the ones who are in taking over the factory from the factory girls, the radio radioactive factory girls. That's all I know. Um, you may be able to explain it more because I haven't gotten that far into the book, but um, it's a novella. It seems great so far. I'm so glad you told me about it. I'm glad that uh, I was able to read because it, it seems like it's totally up my alley and it's a really interesting book and a really like Weird fiction slash sci-fi slash alternate history, which and very dark, which is fascinating. Yes, it is. It is not a happy book, I will say, but it is awesome. It is another like great tour.com novella. This is like I think it was like one of Amazon's best books of the year when it came out. I think it was twenty seventeen when it came out, but it is amazing. So it's like twenty eighteen came out at the very beginning of twenty eighteen. Yeah, uh, great for folks who love sci-fi that like mixed with alternate history yeah what are you reading Mallory 
So for a very long time, there's been a really big hole in my like female centric horror, uh, uh, media consumption and up until last year I had never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh wow. Uh-huh. Which I know that you were a big fan of. A lot of people are a big fan of. And then my boyfriend, Jeremy Lampert, started co-writing the Buffy comic books. And I thought, oh shit, I have to start getting into Buffy now because I can't just like read I, I want to read like support my boyfriend, but I don't know anything about Buffy. So I actually I like started watching the show. I got really into it. Obviously I'm obsessed with Giles, who is <laughs> just like my, my dude um and now the first the trade is out for that comic uh, jeremy's going to continue and keep doing writing on it but this is the first trade in this like crossover event it's called buffy the Vamp- vampire slayer hellmouth and it is like a crossover of the comic lines of like the buffy story and the angel story and the buffy comic books are like a reboot of the story as if they were happening in high school now oh so, so it's not season eight or whatever anymore no it's it's a total reboot like you know it's like them using iphones and stuff and it's written by Jeremy my boyfriend and uh Jordi Belair and it's amazing it is so much fun the art is amazing and it's like Buffy trying to save the world uh and dealing with like meeting Angel for the first time and trying like not trusting him but really needing his help and like and fighting off these demons and it's so much fun and it feels it's really interesting for me to read I mean I read all the trades when they came out but now I get to like read it in one go and it's just like there's so Buffy inspired so much stuff yeah so many filmmakers and so much media and so many women in the horror world that I'm like, I feel like a gap is closing in my brain. I'm like, now I'm like, get it. I'm like, oh, I get all these Buffy references. I get all this stuff now. You know, it's so great. I watched um, the original movie last night uh, randomly, which is some, some friends were which watching. I it. still haven't seen that. Um, it's it's different than the show, uh, yeah. but for me, it came out. I'm the I'm like the right age for it. Like I think I was in fifth grade or something when it came out. Um, so I was like, you know, I would have been looking up to to that movie. Maybe I was a little bit older, but not couldn't have been much older. Maybe I was in seventh grade. Anyway, regardless, I watched it every weekend when it came out. Uh, I had it on VHS. I would watch it all the time and. I haven't watched it in a few years, but I always say, oh, this was a really influential movie on me. And then I watched it and was like, not only is this influential, I have just been trying to be this person for the past 25 years. And I you didn't realize. You are very Buffy-like, yeah, I will I say. Yeah, I don't think I realize. Well, especially the movie. I mean, not, I mean, ish. I mean, she's like, you The know, movie's whatever. directed by a woman, right? It is. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the last movie she ever did. Um, but, but um, yeah. It, it, it's a really fun movie. The TV show is amazing. Um, but the movie's super fun. I'm just watching it. I was like, I feel like my sartorial choices are similar to this. I feel like my <laughs> speaking style somehow is similar to this. Like, was I, and I can quote, I could literally sit here and tell you the entire movie. Like, I could quote it. Amazing. Um, and a lot of the TV show. So, yes, I, it is a very influential thing, I think, for a lot of women my age. Well, when you get back from Bulgaria, I bought, obviously bought a ton of uh, multiple copies of this graphic novel because my boyfriend writes it. So if you want to read this, it's really, really good. It, I think they did a really good job of bringing it into the modern world nice. uh, without change. There definitely are changes from the show, um, but it is a fucking blast. So that is uh, Hellmouth by Jordi Belair and Jeremy Lambert. And mine is The Only Harmless Great Thing by Brooke Belander. 
Uh, so we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Gray wrote in about e-reader alternatives. I'm a non-binary femme and I appreciated the newest episode. I've been talking about J.K. Rowling's transphobia for years and I'm thankful your episode will help people. Uh, I am someone who said I would never have an e-reader, paper books only because I love the visceral nature of reading. COVID-19 caused me to think again as the overdrives all over Massachusetts became open to everyone and the library was closed. The due dates are two weeks beyond Merrimack Valley, three weeks for Haverhill, which weirdly enough is the town where I'm from in Massachusetts. Um, So Gray got a Kobo and I've had a Kobo for a few weeks now and it's a life changer. I bought the Kobo Clara HD, which is the cheaper one you were talking about. The night mode in in the Clara Kobo is perfect. My wife is sensory sensitive and she can fall asleep or stay asleep if I join later. And that's essential for my anxiety care reading in bed before sleep. I thought I'd reach out and see if I can tip you over the edge. Bria should try a Kobo to see if she can wean off of a Kindle. I recommend you owning one as a COVID-19 slash anxiety option so you can both let your partner sleep and meet your self-care needs. Thank you both for the advocacy you do, especially the last two episodes. Thank you, Gray. I will say I was really, really happy to get this. uh, And we've gotten quite a bit of listener feedback about this um, because we got a lot of pushback when we talked about, um, we did an episode about J.K. Rowling and we did an episode about black authors. There were a lot of folks, especially reviewers uh, who left us bad reviews, who said that they were very angry that we were talking about these things because they use podcasts to try to escape. But as you know, from listening to the show and from reading, uh, a lot of folks who are affected by this issues, issues don't have uh, the luxury of escaping uh, this stuff. So a- as empathetic uh, book citizens, we it was really important to us to do episodes like that. And we're really happy to get some feedback about people that uh, are supportive of it and aren't angry. <laughs> so thank you, Gray. We're glad that you like your Kobo. And I believe at some point uh, coming up, we, are, we'll, we will be able to test out a Kobo that someone sent us. Yeah, yeah. I think we have some waiting for us at the Maximum Fun um, headquarters. But <clears throat> during COVID, we haven't head over, headed over there in a while. So we'll get them at some point. But we will. Yes. Um, Kayla wrote in with a wheelhouse that says, I discovered your, your podcast two months ago while working alone at my library processing job. The job can get a bit tedious when there's no one to talk to. So I filled the silence with podcasts and now I listen to you guys every week. The idea of a wheelhouse is so cool. I wanted to share mine. I'm so happy you're sharing this during your library proce- materials processing job. That sounds fascinating. I don't know what it is, but it seems cool. Love it. Uh, the Love reading it. wheelhouse includes YA slash new adult rom-coms, stories with queer characters and themes, books where people can fly or have wings. That's specific. Um, books about books being banned. Oh, that is interesting. Uh, books where a lesbian and a gay boy become best friends. Angry female protagonists. Graphic novels with strong color palettes. Oh, I have some recommendations for you on that. Uh, magical realism. Ladies Who Can Fight, and books about the Titanic. I wonder Amazing. if Kayla has read The Deep. Oh, I hope I hope Kayla has read The Deep by Almakatsu. That is because very, very much in this wheelhouse. Magical realism and books a book about the Titanic, possibly the only book I've ever read about the Titanic. You know what? I think so. That's the same for me. I don't think I've ever read another book about the Titanic. No. Uh, so you can always email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. If you want a list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month, you can sign up for our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. Um, I have a quick bookmark. If you are listening to this in the UK or Canada, um, I have two films. I have, I have uh, films playing in festivals there, but it's uh, online, virtual festivals, and they're geolocated, uh, geo-blocked. What do you call it? Geo. 
I think a geo storm. It's a geo storm. Um, just kidding. Uh, that's a movie. Oh my right. god! For a second, I was I thought I was thinking of geo cities, but that's it's not geocities.com. Um, <laughs> not, not what I, not what this is. There's a festival called Fantasia in Canada. You can go and. Um, Get tickets, uh, go see movies. If you live in Canada, um, my movie 12 Hour Shift and my other movie that I wrote and I'm in, uh, 12 Hour Shift I wrote and directed, the movie I wrote and I'm in called Lucky is um, they're both playing at Fantasia. I am actually going to get up in the middle of the night in B- Bulgaria just to do the Q&A, so please join. I think I have to get up at like 3 a.m. and do the Q&A for one of them, so... Um, but because I didn't get to do any Q&As for any of my movies this year because of COVID, I decided that would be worth it. And then um, 12 Hour Shift is also playing at Fright Fest digital, digitally. Um, and you, if you're in the UK, you can watch it. Um, and I, I don't know about individual tickets if you don't have a pass, but that might be possible. So check into that if you're in the UK or, or Canada um, and you want to see uh, 12 Hour Shift. Um, or in Canada, you can see 12 Hour Shift and Lucky. And trust me, you definitely want to see these movies. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'll put links to, to both of those in the show notes. Cool. Thanks. Hey, Glassers. Quick bookmark. We are working on fulfilling all of the rewards that everyone unlocked during the Max Fun Drive, and we are gearing up for the first one, which is the Live Book Club. So the Live Book Club is going to be September 20th, which is a Sunday. It's going to be at 2 p.m. Pacific time. And we are reading The Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls by Anissa Gray. We are super excited about this book. Both me and Bria have been really wanting to read it for a while. It is in hardcover. It is in paperback. It is an ebook. It is an audiobook. So any type of uh, format that you read, it is in there. It is a literary fiction and quick content warnings. We haven't read the book yet, but we did some research to make sure. And it seems like the content warnings for this one are eating disorders, physical abuse, suicidal thoughts, and parents in prison. There might be others, but this, this just want to give folks as much of a heads up as we can going in there. We're really excited to read this. This was a, a buzzy literary fiction book from a few years ago. So this book is sort of pitched as like American marriage meets the mothers. So it's like a family drama, literary fiction. We normally do a lot of genre stuff. So we're excited to do something that's a little more literary. Uh, It's the story of the Butler family and the three sisters that are in there and uh, their, the the dramas and how they were intertwined and um, uh, something that happened, an event that happens in their community that sort of changes everybody. And uh, we're really, we're really excited to read it. Um, it is, it has a beautiful cover. Hopefully the audiobook is good. We haven't checked out the narrator on it yet, but please join us. So that's September 20th, uh, Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls by Anissa Gray. We're really looking forward to discussing it with you. Reading Glasses is supported in part by Curiosity Stream, Smart TV for your smart TV. It's like Netflix, but only for documentaries. Fellow folks who love documentaries, this is for you. This is your dream. So Curiosity Stream is a streaming service that has thousands of documentaries and nonfiction TV shows on topics like history, nature, science, food, technology, travel, and a bunch more. And they're all organized like that. So instead of just going to a normal streaming service where you have to go through, go to documentaries and there's just a big lump of documentaries there, this is particularly curated just for you. They even have exclusive programs featuring folks like David Attenborough, Stephen Hawking, Nick Offerman. It is absolutely wonderfully curated. It is so cool. And you can easily stream everything from your TV, your phone, your tablet, your computer, who knows what other sort of technological devices everybody has, but you could probably stream Curiosity Stream on it. 
Go to curiositystream.com slash glasses right now or use the code glasses when you sign up and it's just $14.99 for the whole year. That's like one paper new paperback book and for that you get a whole year of documentaries. It's awesome. If you want to watch documentaries about dogs, about dinosaurs, about cool nature things that you can zone out to and, and make your brain soothe because we're all living in a dystopian nightmare land, you got it. This is such a fun service. If you love watching documentaries, this is an unmissable thing for you. So go to curiositystream.com slash glasses or use code glasses when you sign up and it's just $14.99 for the whole year. Glasses. One, two, one, two, three, five. Hi, everybody. My name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. We're both doctors and... Nope, just me. Okay, well, Sydney's a doctor and I'm a medical enthusiast and we create okay. Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. Every week I dig through the annals of medical history to bring you the wildest, grossest, sometimes dumbest tales of ways we've tried to treat people throughout history. And lately we do a lot of modern fake medicine. Because everything's a disaster, but it's slightly less of a disaster every Friday, right here on MaximumFun.org, as we bring you Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. And remember, don't drill a hole in your head. This week, we're taking a trip down memory lane. This episode started because Bria texted me and was like, I'm listening to this podcast and they were talking about about the Pizza Hut book program. No, I was on that? a podcast. I was on a oh, podcast. Oh, shit. And they were like, I did this podcast called Haunts and Hops um, where I think I was supposed to be drinking beer, but I wasn't. And we talked about ghosts. And um, they were like, you do a book podcast? Well, do you just talk about the Book It program on Pizza, pizza Book It program all the time? And I was like, no, we've never talked about it, but it's a really good idea. <laughs> And so Bria texted me that and then she was like, also, you remember the Scholastic Book Fair? And both of us just immediately like sighed with joy and happiness, mm -hmm. like pure, uncut, childlike joy. Uh, so we're going to be talking about reading programs and book events from yesteryear that were big parts of our childhood. Um, and... First off, we do want to say that these programs actually still exist, and we're very interested in hearing from people who are both younger and older than us to hear about your own school-age book memories. Uh, so, Bria, tell us about that Scholastic Book Fair. Well, first, I want to tell you a little bit about it. So, um, the Scholastic Book Fair is run by Scholastic Books. In the 90s, they were the largest mm -hmm. organizer of children's book fairs and still are today. Um um, and I have an update on like what they're doing today, but I'll just get into like my experience. So I loved it, the Scholastic Book Fair. I loved it because you got to get out of class. That was really cool. And then you got to go into a room <laughs> filled with books. Now, did I particularly love it because I got to check out and get some Mad Libs and some cat posters? Yes. That was things Were you that getting was the, the old hang in there? You got to hang in there. I got to find my nouns, my adjectives, my adverbs. I, I loved a Mad Lib. Loved a Mad Lib. I thought that was peak comedy. I did not know it could get any funnier. Um, but I also ended up getting some books as well. Truly can't remember what books I got. I'm sure I got some books, but I don't know. I guess you could buy Mad Libs year round, but in my head, I could only get them at the Scholastic Book Fair. So I would wait every year and be like, what's going to be that new Mad Lib that came out? <laughs> I will say I did love a Mad Lib when I was a kid. It was so funny to be like, oh yeah. And then she walked around and, and you know, 
uh, you know, I, I can't think of a good adjective right she now. She wrote a potato to the store. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, hilarious. Like, yeah, I love to put um, proper nouns in the place of nouns. Like, she wrote a Mallory to the store. You know, like, that was just <laughs> too funny to Very me. funny. The height of comedy when you're a child. It's so funny. What, what's your experience with the Scholastic Book Fair? Uh, so, warning, going to get a little uh, philosophical here. And uh, so my parents were not wicked involved with my schooling when I was a kid and we didn't really have any money. So I've never actually bought anything at the Scholastic Book Fair. But oh, Bria, how I coveted it. I still went. I remember walking in there. Like I remember literally the first place I went with my first paycheck of babysitting money when I was like 14 was I asked my grandfather to drive me to Barnes and Noble because I wanted that feeling of like walking into that room full of books and it was just like it truly was like a magical place like you like it just felt like that scene in a in like a uh, the Wizard of Oz where you walk in and everything's in color and there's just fucking books everywhere <laughs> um but I never got money for my grades so I like never got to spend any money at the the, uh, Scholastic Book Fair and I really truly think that the smell and the excitement and like the joy of it set up my love of bookstores Mm. Uh, and I think it helped me link buying books with like happiness and being successful like that I because I never got to buy stuff at the Scholastic Book Fair I always thought like when I'm old enough and have money I'm gonna go buy my own books and it's that's like going to be my mark of success um like and I'm like man I'm doing okay so I can buy books and I think that's like still how I feel now like whenever if I get money I'm just like oh I want to go buy some books like that like really cemented that in my mind you know it's interesting you say that because I went down a rabbit hole reading about the Scholastic Book Fair because of this and one thing that they really encourage is um, that one of their goals is to make, uh, allow children to have independent decisions about book buying. That is like one wow. of their goals. So they they want to link that independence and book buying together. So these are, this is like, you know, the first time a lot of kids are able to go and choose their books without their parents around, with no teacher telling them what to do. They can just go choose a book on their own. Um, so the Scholastic Book Fair is a gateway drug for bookstores. It, it is, it is, it's how they get you hooked. <laughs> they, 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 they put that book IV into your, um, into you. Um, um, it is still happening, just so you know. And Mallory, I don't, I think this might warm your heart a little bit. You'll be happy to know they've actually made sure the prices are affordable now. They have books for as little as $1, which now Aww. is nothing. And um, there's a whole article in The Atlantic about this, by the way, um, which, which is really an interesting read for anyone who has nostalgia about it. Um, uh, and um, they go in ahead of time and they look at school records confidentially to see which students might not be able to afford books. And they give those Aww. students a little bookmark and they can trade it in for a book at any price. Oh, my heart. I know. It's really sweet. Um, a couple other weird up- updates. They are doing virtual fairs right now. Um, they Because of COVID, um, they have added um, new sections every year. Uh, all across, um, Sorry, they've added new sections in the last few years, including, including one called Girl Power. Very cute. Love it. Um, they vet all the books that are there with their 50 staffers. Um, like they all vote on what books will go to the book fair every year, but each school can choose books that work better for their school population. So the article in the Atlantic focused on a school where a lot of the children were bilingual. So they requested a lot of books in Spanish. So you can do that. You can kind of, um, make it so it targets your school a little bit better. Um, the article What a Atlantic, dream job is uh, yeah. being the person who decides which books go to the Scholastic Book Fair. I know. Like, they, oh. And apparently they do it in a very like democratic system. Like they vote. They vote with everyone there. Um, the article in The Atlantic is really interesting because the writer um, is like, oh, 
this isn't what I remember it being. I don't have like this feeling in a so- like it kind of was like a disappointment for the writer. But then the writer talked to all these students that were there and they were like, we love it. And like they're like obsessed <laughs> with it. And and the writer was like, oh, you know what? I think that like it's just different because I'm looking at it through adult eyes now. And it like feels so yes. different for kids, um, yes. which I thought was really interesting. We'll link to that article because it was fantastic. Um, what what else? What other nostalgia nostalgia you got going? Uh, well, I and so I know that this is a really big thing for folks. And uh, there's the Dolly Parton Imagination Library, uh, where parents can sign up their kid to get free picture books. And like this is this is like younger books, so the books are meant for like up to age five uh, from the Dolly Parton Imagination Library. Um, did you ever get books from this when you were a kid? No, because I'm too old for it. Um, when did I, this start? Uh, so I have a little history on it. Um, so I kind of vaguely remember about it because they talked about it while I, when I was working at a library, which would have been in the late 90s. Um, this started in 1995 in Tennessee. Um, when you sign up, uh, uh, a child, when you sign up, the child that, has signed up. I guess a, a one-year-old isn't signing up. The mom or the, you sign they're the like, child They're like signing their name in a bag. <laughs> um, sign me up. Sign me up for these free books. Gets, um, they get a carefully selected book each month until they turn five, which is a each ton month? of books. Yes. They distribute over 900,000 books every year. Oh my God. I know. I know. There's no income level you need to qualify. So you you can get it as long as it exists in your community. It's not in every community, but it is in quite a few. And Dolly Parton created it because her father couldn't read or write, and she talked about how important it was for, to. Oh my to, god, Dolly Parton! What a, what a, what a, what a wonderful little thing! And so, did you have any? Do you know anything about this? No, I I was I'm also uh, too old for the Dolly Parton Imagination Library, right? Um, and I only found out about this later in life. Um, you got me super obsessed with Dolly Parton with that Dolly Parton podcast we both listened to. It's fascinating. Actually, if any folks have a Dolly Parton biography, I'd be super down to read that. Um, but yeah, so I never signed up for this. And I'd love for folks to email us if they know of any other programs. I know that there's like First Book, I think, sends book to kids. I don't know if they send kid, uh, books to kids every month. But if you uh, if you or your kids uh, are recipients of the Dolly Parton Imagination Library or you know of other programs, we'd love to hear from you because this is absolutely amazing. Yeah. God, we don't, we truly don't deserve Dolly Parton. I know. She's, she's wonderful. Wonderful. Um, Has learned to change over the years, which I really appreciate. That's what that, anyway, yes. I won't get into that podcast, but like, you know, oh, she so had good. some problematic <laughs> things and then she was like, oh, you know what? I can learn to change. And that's been like, and then she also, I don't know. There's just like all sorts of interesting things about her. She's incredible. Yeah. Uh, so before we talk about more book nostalgia, we're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is supported in part by BookNix, a teacher-facilitated interactive subscription box and online book club for middle grade readers. A curated selection of books for different reading and developmental levels is offered every month, along with big idea questions, weekly emailed reading guides, and monthly activities that correspond with the theme of the book to help readers engage more deeply with the material. And at the end of the month, kids can participate in an interactive, teacher-led virtual book club with teachers and other students from all around the country. If you are a parent and you are trying to find something educational and fun and totally different for your kid to do while we're all stuck inside during the pandemic, BookNix is absolutely perfect. You know every month you're going to get a great book 
just for their reading level and a fun activity to do. And then they get to interact with a teacher and talk about the book and interact with other students all around the country who've read it. It is awesome. So you can get 20% off your first month at booknix.com when you use the promo code GLASS20 at booknix.com. So that's 20% off your first month at booknix.com when you use the promo code GLASS20 at booknix.com. Get a cute book. You can read it after your kid is done with it. It is absolutely adorable and so much fun. Hi, I'm James, host of Minority Corner, which is a podcast that's all about intersectionality. It's hosted by James with a guest host every week. Discussing all sorts of wonderful issues, nerdy and political. Pop culture. Black, queer, feminism. Race, sexuality. News. You're going to learn your history, their self-empowerment, and it's told by what feels like your best friend. Why should someone listen to Minority Corner? Why not? Oh my God, free stuff. There's not free stuff. The listeners of Minority Corner will enjoy some necessary LOLs, but mainly a look at what's happening in our world through a colorful lens. People will get the perspective of marginalized communities. I feel heard. I feel seen. Like you said, you need to understand how to be more proactive in your community and this is a great way to get started. Join us every Friday on Max Fun or wherever you get your podcast. Minority, Minority Corner. Corner. Because, because together, together we're, we're the majority. majority. And now we're back. We're here to talk about the big one, the Pizza Hut book program. It is truly the height of joy for children in the 80s and 90s. Uh, It has been around since 1984, and it's a school program where if you read a certain amount of books, you earn a free, single-topping, personal pan pizza. What a dream. I love, by the way, that it's... I Because I was looking this up and then it is just a single topping. You cannot have pepperoni and hamburger on that pizza. (laughs) One topping, folks. (laughs) One topping. Um, There's actually a study done on the Book It program because there were concerns that kids were just reading to get those pizzas. Like kids were like, I don't like reading, Uh, but I'll read just to get that little mini pizza. Isn't that the whole point of this whole program? Isn't the pizza the size of like- Your face. A hand. (laughs) <laughs> not even it's smaller than it's that. not like a bagel bite but it's like <laughs> it is not big it's like the size of a small plate I, but you're also like a child yeah that's true so in, in your child brain it's the size of a table okay um <laughs> anyway um and they're worried that like basically they get that pizza award and award, reward and then they stop but this study they did an outside study on the book it program um and they found that um Children who were encouraged to read through this program found increased joy in reading and it helped them to learn to read better, like improving their vocabulary, um, which is amazing. Um, and it's still around right now. Parents at home, right? Parents at home listening to this podcast are like, yeah, duh, we know. We know we go and get those little tiny pizzas and we feed them to our children. <laughs> those little mini I'm just tiny pizzas. Imagining them getting smaller and smaller as the years go I know. On. I know. Actually, that's not the way I think fast food works. It actually gets bigger and bigger as the years go by. But it's true. I love the idea that they just at this point, it's just like the size of like a like a, a, a quarter. Like a bagel bite. A quarter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Bria, did you earn those pizzas? Well, so this was brought up to me and I couldn't remember it. I remember the tiny pizzas. Um, And when I worked (laughs) at the library, Pizza Hut gave us a ton of coupons to give for our summer reading program. 
um, which we could have a whole episode on summer reading programs. But um, uh, I wonder if it had something to do with the Book It program. I don't remember this, but I feel like Bria, I'm, do you think you were the the guardian of the pizza coupons? Like I was, a, I was out? a pusher of the of the tiny pizzas. You granted the you were the pizza fairy. You have granted the pizza coupons to children. Um, I don't think so, but I don't remember. I don't think I took a part took part of this, but maybe I did. And my mom and my brother are going to be like, "Yes, of course, you loved those tiny pizzas. You loved a hamburger pizza." Uh, <laughs> what about you? Did, did you earn some pizzas? Oh, ho, ho, you better believe I earned some pizzas. Uh, I love this one so much because obviously, like, you didn't have to pay for anything. Uh, I mean, this is the American dream. It's pulling yourself up by your poor kid bootstraps to get some free pizza. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I don't know what else, what, what is more American than that. Um, I don't remember how many books you, like, I don't remember the parameters in my school. Like if you had, it was like one book, one pizza. Yeah, because like, the you had to read school it. and the teacher sets everything, right? Yeah. So I don't remember the parameters. Like if I had to read more than one book or not. Um, but I do remember that getting a personal pizza was like the height of joy when you were a child. Yeah. Like that was it. It was like that. Or like, or finding like a, any kind of pizza party situation or maybe ice cream cake. Like, yeah, but well, ice cream cake wasn't as big in East Texas, but pizza party was the jam. Like if you were like, they're oh, yeah. like, okay, if everyone behaves and does whatever, we'll get a pizza party. And I don't know why, I guess now, cause as an adult, I can order pizza whenever I want. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, that's the thing. I think as a child, you were not in control of the, of your pizza consumption. Yeah, pizza yeah, is yeah. something that is like happens to you. So <laughs> getting earning like I mean these are true my favorite was true my favorite things as a child it's free pizza and books like this was oh incredible maybe maybe we should have for our max fun drive next year some sort of pizza pizza party pizza party oh my god (laughs) if we could figure this out somehow Um, uh do you have any other programs that you loved well I loved a summer reading program do you are you familiar with what this is like or they're like over the summer you know, you should read this number of books or whatever. And we had this one when I was quite young and I definitely, this is burned into my head. Um, at our school, we read books over the summer. Um, and then when we came back for the school year in the fall and I probably was, I was very young. I want to say I was like six or seven. Um, we, they announced how many books we read in front of the whole school and we got prizes or something if we read a lot. Um, and, I didn't care about those fucking prizes. I don't even know what they were, but I wanted that fame. I wanted to be in front of the school and have read the most books. Um, and This I, explains a lot about who we are as adults, I know, I, I'm I know. going to say. <laughs> I know. And one summer, I sat around and I read 100 books. And I remember, like, my goal was 100, and I can't remember if I read more than 100 or if it was 100. I feel like my mom would know. I went all out. I of the Tiger was playing in the background. Yeah, You're, like, I, drinking shakes made out of raw eggs every morning. Yeah, and I remember <laughs> we would go to the library, and I would get a bunch of books, and I'm like, I'm going to read all these because, like, I can— I can win this thing. I can be the top summer reader. And it turns out that like life, summer reading is not a competition and no one was that impressed and it didn't matter. (laughs) And like the next day I went back to being like a bossy six-year-old that no one gave a shit about. But for that one (laughs) moment, I read the most books and I read like a hundred and they announced it. And I remember people being like, oh my God, do you think she really read that many? And I was like, hell yeah, I read that many. All I did this summer was read books for some reason. I don't know. What? This is really delving into who we are as people, Brianna. <laughs> I know. It really, it really tells you a lot, a lot about us. Um, what about bookish kids shows, Mallory? Television yeah, we, stuff. We, we really can't talk about book nostalgia without talking about some of these shows we grew up as kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for me, fucking Wishbone. Wishbone uh, is truly 
everything that I loved as a child. It was a kid show where there's a Jack Russell Terrier named Wishbone, went on adventures, and he ended up reenacting classic works of literature like Homer, Tale of Two Cities. Oh, my God. I was so obsessed with Wishbone. I'm still obsessed with Wishbone. My two favorite things, dogs and books. Like, I couldn't think of a better, truly a better thing to, to more appeal to childhood Mallory. Um, I will say it definitely contributed to my feeling that I didn't have to read these classics. Like, just watch the Wishbone episode. Why would I need to read Charles Dickens? Because Wishbone when tells I've you everything there's in a A dog yeah. dressed up as a little popper holding or, uh, you know, or reenacting Oliver Twist holding uh, a little cup between his two paws. A popper or soup. a pupper? Oh, or a popper. A popper. Oh, amazing. Uh, what about you, Bria? Uh, so I'm too old for Wishbone. Wishbone, that'd be like me telling you me telling you now about like Peppa Pig or something. Like I'm way too old for Wishbone. Oh, um, I don't even know what Peppa Pig is. <laughs> I have friends with kids. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but reading Rainbow, LeVar Burton, oh. baby. Uh, every week, Ugh. LeVar Burton came on. There was like a different person. I assume that person was possibly a celebrity. I don't know who they were because I was a child. But um, they would read a book. And at the end, he'd do this part, which I really loved, where he'd say, but don't take my word for it. And then it'd be a bunch of kids talking about the books they liked. And I was like, oh my God, what if I could be on that? That'd be so cool. Um, oh, essentially like the personal begin- pan pizza and then meeting LeVar Burton is truly every every bookish person's dream. I know. You know, what's so it's essentially the end of reading Rainbow is the beginning of every reading glasses where we're like, here's what I'm reading. <laughs> uh, that is what the end of reading Rainbow was. Um, Amazing. I think... Kids my age have a really strong association with LeVar Burton and reading. Um, I, oh, yeah. Obviously, we paid for, like, a Kickstarter to reboot that show. And it was, like, I think it made, like, a million dollars in, like, the first day or something like that. Um, oh, because, of course, every 80s or 90s kid was like, yes, please, LeVar Burton, please well, come back to my life. Well, and also, there's also that podcast. There's a podcast. And there's also um, just that theme song was so I iconic. I was playing my head right now. What? playing in my head oh, right now yeah it was so iconic it was so good and it was just i mean like what an amazing person that like made that show and then lavar burton for making that show that it was just like all about reading but it was super accessible and very fun and i think that was like what made it good for kids um what about you do you have any other school or library programs that, that you thought were cool Oh, yeah. Uh, my elementary school had a wicked good program that I still fantasize about to this day. Uh, I, but I will say, it, I, as much as I loved it and as great as it was, I think it might have ruined my reading life for a really long time. <laughs> uh, so in my elementary school, for every 100 pages you read, you got a leaf on this big paper tree that was stapled to the classroom wall. And you better fucking believe I had the most goddamn leaves on that tree in my whole class. Uh, because ever, forever, for, I can't remember how many it was, for every however many leaves, it was like maybe five or ten. You got a free book. Oh wow! And like you got to pick it out. Wow! And it was and obviously you looked amazing because you had the most fucking leaves on the on the wall. So I think that's where my obsession with reading a shitload of books came from. Because it like immediately one, it made me. It was like the first time I had ever tracked my reading as a as a child. And the more I read, the more books I got. It was just feeding my addiction. Um, <laughs> It's actually taken me a really long time to break free from that. Um, it's like giving a heroin be- user more heroin every time they do heroin. Basically. Like every to reward them for the heroin they've used. Well, and it also made me like push through books that I maybe I wouldn't wouldn't have liked because I, I was like, I got to get those pay- I got to go get those leaves on that wall. Oh, even if I don't like this book. So I think as a young, um, as, a, as a young, like very bookish 
obsessed child, this really just fed my fed my problems and and rewarded my my obsession. But maybe it also taught you like you know stick to itness, grit, grit. You know something like that. I don't that? think I needed that as a kid. <laughs> maybe I I, I I wish I could reconnect with some kids, some people I knew in elementary school, and be like, did that help your reading life at all? Like maybe I'm sure I'm sure it definitely. Um, uh, motivated kids to, to read, but I don't, I think my problem was I didn't need the motivation and right. it just made me super addicted to reading. Uh, do you think any of these like uh, reward programs affected your reading life at all in the long run? I mean, I, I think we've mentioned this a lot in the show, but I, I'm sure it did. Um, probably ways I can't comprehend, you know, like I, I'm, I'm sure like definitely like I have positive associations with, you know, books with reading rainbow, with reading, like things like that with, um, yeah, I mean, and, and maybe there is like a little stick to itness. I like grit that it get, you know, like, as I felt like I had to read, I, I'm not sure. I, it's hard to say. I mean, maybe it made me love Mad Libs. I have no idea. Maybe <laughs> that's why I'm a writer. Cause I'm like, what about those adverbs? Uh, <laughs> You're like, what would be the funniest pronoun to go right here? Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I, I don't know. I, I'm sure it did, but it's not in ways that like I can draw a direct line. Maybe. Um, what about you? Um, I definitely think that these programs were probably the highlight of my childhood. Mm. Um, but I was I was such a little Hermione Granger that it really tied my love of reading, which was already there, to my need to succeed. And I've seen <laughs> some other glassers talk about this, where I think it it contributes to your. Uh, inability to put a book down that you don't like mm. because you're so when you're a kid you're so positively reinforced to finish a book that it's hard when you've already sunk you know uh, what oh what is that thing that you that we always talk about on the show um, uh, sunken cost fallacy sunken cost fallacy I think it contributes to that where you're like well I already put all this work into this book. And if I start again, it's going to be that much longer till I get that free pizza. So I might as well just get through it. Um, so, I mean, I will say I've been chasing the high of those of the leaves to free books program my entire life. Yeah, I guess you know, what we I, need to say is there is no free pizza or or leaves at, at, in reading now. So you can you can let it go. Yeah, I think if you're having a hard time putting a book down, take a take a moment to sit with yourself and go, you know what? No one you're not going to get a free pizza if you finish this book that you fucking hate. Yeah. You're not going to get a leaf on a tree. You're not going to get anything. Just the 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 thing that you will get if you put this book down is more time to read a book that you give a shit about. <laughs> Although I do really think for Maximum Fun Drive 2021, if we are allowed to go out by then, we should try to figure out some kind of book pizza party book that pizza we can party. throw. I know. I think that fun. is like, I mean, I just want it for me, even though we will probably be the ones paying for the <laughs> It's true. It's very That's true. how you know you're old is when you're paying for your own personal pan pizza. Um so we would love to hear from folks about what book programs and things uh, either affect how they affected you or what or what you did when you were a kid or what you've maybe signed your children up for. Uh, so you can send all of that to Reading Glasses Podcast at gmail.com. Now it's time to solve a bookish problem from one of our listeners. Melissa writes in, I'm reaching out to you to thank you for promoting bookshop.org. I placed a rather large order from them and chose Indie Reads as my local bookstore that I wanted to support. Two weeks after I placed my order, I received an email from the owner thanking me for helping them out during this pandemic and receiving such a thoughtful email brought me to tears. But here lies my rather specific problem for my book collecting habits. We are always here for your wicked fucking specific book problems. We love them. Uh, I've been purchasing all the UK covers of 
of the Discworld series by Terry Pratchett through Abe's books prior to the existence of Bookshop. I've made the decision that I no longer want to order anything through Amazon, and unfortunately, Abe's books is owned by them. The art on the UK versions is absolutely gorgeous, while the US versions are very simple. I've been purchasing them every so often, so I can finally read whatever next one in the series I want, but I'm now down to one that I haven't read that I currently own. Are there any other ways I can try to obtain them? Should I reach out to bookshop.org and ask them in the future if they could include used books? Priya, what should Melissa do? First of all, the Discworld series, there's so many books in that. that this there, is one There's that, like 30. There's like 40. There's like, oh my God. yeah, this is one of the ones that came up during our series episode where we were like, what are the ones, what are some of the book series that have the most books in that series? And this is one of them. This is like the top one. <sighs> so Melissa is dropping some bank on these books. <laughs> Oh my like, God. This Good is, for you, Melissa. There's That's a lot commitment. of these. Um, so my suggestion for this is going to be eBay. Um, you'll be able to see what you're buying so you can actually see the uh, the book. As long as you don't care that it's used, some of the used stuff on eBay can be pretty used. Um, but it won't, you won't be buying it. <laughs> I'm just imagining this like sad, haggard old book that's like smoking a cigarette. <laughs> I've seen some things. I've seen a lot. Have you seen the pubic hair between my pages? That's a different episode. Sorry, oh, we talked that about. Oh my god, that was the last episode. Sorry. Um, you know what? I will. Okay, quick, quick aside. The thing I feel worst about is that I didn't know what to do with the pubes, so I left it in yeah, the book. Yeah, just leave it in there. Because I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, go outside and flap the pages? No, that until pube it, is like, not I, your responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> That's somebody else's job. <laughs> I am so sorry to the to the, whoever at the Los Angeles Public Library has to deal with that pube. Uh, that's uh, by the way, that's a different episode, so no one knows what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so you can find some good gems on on eBay. Uh, my brother personally buys a lot of his stuff from eBay um, because he likes to get older books. And he's always looking for older stuff. Also, they're used, so less pollution, etc. I also wonder. And I didn't look into this enough, and I'm sorry, Melissa, if there is a UK store you could order from directly, a UK indie bookstore you could order from, because you might, you'll pay extra for shipping, but you could be assured that the, um, that the cover would be right, because it would be a UK cover. Also, if you're ordering from an indie bookstore, I feel like you could email them and be like, I'm looking for the UK cover. Can you make sure it has the UK cover and then I'll buy it? Um, I think that that might be a way to get around around this. And yeah, you're going to pay a little extra for shipping, but it sounds like you're a collector, so you don't really care if you like have to, you know, pay, you know, instead of paying zero for shipping, you pay like $7 or whatever, or maybe it's like 15 to ship something, ship something overseas. Um, but those would be my two suggestions for Melissa. Um, what do you think? I'm actually checking this right now. Um, not at Indie, but they're, uh, Waterstone, Waterstones is like the big bookstore in, in the UK. And I think you, yeah, you can get international shipping from it. I'm looking at the Discworld books right now. Uh, so you can just order it straight from the UK if you want a brand new copy. Oh, yeah. Great. Um, great. Uh, so also, so good news, Melissa. Bookshop.org now does sell used books. Uh, I got one recently because oh. uh, there was a... Um, a book that I really wanted and I wanted it in paperback, I think, and it was back ordered. So I, and it's like a super backlist book. So I just ordered it um, and it came and it's great. And I'm really happy with it. So I'm not sure if you order a used book from bookshop.org, you're guaranteed which edition. Uh, my recommendation for this is calling your local independent bookstore and see if they can order a specific edition from 
you know, the UK or their whatever their supplier is. That way uh, you can get a new copy. You don't have to get a used copy and you can get uh, guaranteed that that very specific edition. Uh, independent bookstores want to help, want to sell books. They want to help you uh, get books. And if they can't order it, they probably will be able to point you to someone who can. Um, and if they're, if they're getting it wholesale from their distributor who can get it from the UK, it might be cheaper than ordering it mm-hmm. from Waterstones or yeah, like an independent bookstore online. Uh, so you won't have to pay that international shipping. Uh, also, quick note from about local independent bookstores who are receiving a lot more online bookstores thanks to Amazon deprioritizing books. Um who are now dealing with folks that are used to buying their books from Amazon and are used to getting it like the next day after they order it. Uh, and there's a lot of angry customers who are not getting like, you know, when I, when I get a book from bookshop.org and I don't pay the expedited shipping it takes like two or three weeks to get to me. And I'm okay with that, but there's a lot of folks that are not uh, used to waiting that long and they are sending bookshop.org or they're sending their local independent bookstore very angry emails. They're getting very frustrated. So just remember, booksellers want to get books to you. They are not intentionally keeping them from you. They're they're real people who are most of the time a very small staff trying to do their best to get you some books. So just be kind. Remember that. Um, And if you want us to solve your reader problem, you can send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank Danielle and Kathy and Jessica who run our Facebook group and Chrissy and Rachel who moderate our Goodreads page. Uh, Remember, if you want to buy tote bags or stickers or shirts or bookmarks that have uh, cool reading glasses statements on them and logos, uh, you can buy them in the Maximum Fun Store. There's a link in the show notes. And if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's great for us. Helps us reach more readers. Got us on those those sweet podcast charts. Makes people want to listen to it more. They see it and they're like, oh my god look at all these all these happy people who love the show look at all these reviews i gotta listen to this podcast you can email us at reading glasses podcast at gmail.com find us on twitter at reading g podcast on instagram at reading glasses podcast you can always follow along on our bookish adventures using the general hashtag reading glasses podcast thanks for listening and thanks, thanks for reading, reading.